Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, one of the original founders, the original vocalist, one of the best vocalists of all time as far as I'm concerned, from the band The Dillinger Escape Plan, it's Dimitri Minikakis. Dimitri, how are things? Uh, things are great, Robert. Thank you for having me and throwing me into a, the greatest vocalist of all time. I think That's anybody... I like that. <laughs> I feel like anybody that touches the Dillinger Escape Plan, automatically uh, you just... You're, <laughs> you, you get put into this level of vocalist that it's really fucking hard to touch, man. Like it's, And you yeah, set the bar right, so man. fucking high that it's, it's crazy wow. to me. Yeah. Yeah, I just did what like was I felt like thank you by the way. But yeah, I just felt, you know, doing that. It's just that was the best I did and you know, just the environment and music I grew up with. I just did what I liked. So, it just to be like, you know, younger me would have just been like I'm not doing it like I'm not going to be like the greatest vocalist ever. Like you, you, we don't look at it like that, but it's cool. It's really cool. But yeah, like I'm when people ask, like, it's like uh, I'm not a singer. I'm a vocalist. <laughs> you know. So well, well, okay. That we're on the topic of vocalists, though. Okay. So, so mm-hmm. you're gone. You've left. Did you know that Ben was gonna then grab Mike Patton to be the next inclination of the band? Like right after? Did Did he tell you before this? How did that whole thing come um, about? Well, that EP, I was working on those songs um, before I left. Like, not like I didn't like I was we were just like those were like being like the surface was just being scratched with those. So I think I was out of the loop with just like communication of like where the band direction was going mildly in the beginning. But, you know, they told us like it was a good like they were looking for more like a bridge until they found like their full-time vocalist. So I was like, I did know that they were planning on having them sing on that. And I think uh, Mike Patton always wanted to like do something with Dillinger. He always like, I remember when we were on tour with Mr. Bungle, he was like, he was like, I would love to have you guys on Ipic Hack. And so his interest was always there with us. Like he was like, uh, he was a fan of ours and like we were just, like super friendly with him. So it, it made sense to have him do that. It was good for him. Cause it was like something like a one-off thing he could do. That was fun. So it, it just worked out until they found Greg. Cause then I think that was, they were doing that. And in the, in the, also in the process, they were, you know, uh, accepting like audition, uh clips of i think they released 43 percent burnt just the instrumental so people were submitting their like their versions of it and like some of them were good some of them were like funny and some of them were great so like greg stood out to everybody so so like mike Patton was like the good bridge to greg so like that was that was a cool thing that they were able to do for themselves so it was like a win-win for everybody. When you were a Faith No More fan growing up, were you not? Oh, absolutely. Like, I was in junior high when I first heard Faith No More. And 
you know, I'm 44 now. So you got to think like they've been around Faith No More a long time. And even Mr. Bungle, you know, you kind of like figured out who Mr. Bungle was because Mike Patton was wearing a Mr. Bungle t-shirt in the Epic video. So like you can kind of, you can kind of do your detective work. Like what's Mr. Bungle? So then you, you know, you find it and you're like, well, that was his first band. So yeah, I've, I've been a fan of theirs since I was, you know, super young, super young. It's weird, you know, but, um, yeah. Well, how shocked were you? Well, and, and honestly, how much did you keep mm-hmm. up with, with Ben and Dillinger after you'd left? W- were you still listening to those albums? Were you trying to keep tabs on what they were um, doing? Like, I, I know that you were still friends with Ben, but did you try to yeah. really distance yourself from the band at that point? No, nah, not like publicly. Yeah. But personally, no, like, um, I didn't like want to distance myself publicly, like to be an asshole. I just, I wasn't in the band, so it's like, why draw focus away from what they're doing? So, but like, I guess like in the background scenes, like I always like heard like, you know, the progress of each album and, you know, like, you know, the sequencing of like how their records would be like, you know, like what songs should go in what order. And it's not, it was cool seeing like being an outsider, seeing like how, how they were doing the records. Cause it was like, I was part of it firsthand, you know, with the stuff I worked on. So I was just like, and I've said this before, like, it was kind of cool, like learning how to become a fan of your band that you used to be in. Cause I never really listened to my band when I was in it. Like the most you listen to it is when you're re- like, you know, making the records. So like you want to hear how it sounds like how, how it, how it came out, but I didn't really start listening and calculating infinity till years after I was out of the band. Cause I don't know. I was just, you're always playing them live. So it's like, why do you got to listen to it? It's kind of, it's kind of vain to like, like admiring yourself in the mirror, you know, it's like, it just felt weird, but yeah, like I would, I would, I wasn't like part of the decision-making, but I just, it was as a friend, I would just, you know, here and there be kept in the loop and you know what's going on, who's like going to be the new guitar player, that kind of stuff. Cause there was always like a guitar changeover after uh, Benoit left. Well, speaking of listening back to calculating infinity as the years went on, like it originally came out on Hydra and then came out on relapse what is your favorite, I guess, mix pressing of that? Do you really go back like each of these new pressings and, and really try to try to hear the qualities of each one of these pressings? Are, are you not even like an audiophile vinyl guy? Um, I'm not really an audiophile vinyl guy. I have vinyl, but not like how other people do. Um, we were always on relapse and uh, Hydra had only put out our vinyl. So it was like a side deal with Hydra head, but like we were like, we were just originally always a relapse band. So, and if wherever, like, I think uh, in Japan, we were, our vinyl was put out on howling bull records, but we were basically under the relapse umbrella 
but yeah, Hydra had put cool stuff out. Like we did seven inches with them and uh, relapse let us do like little one-offs there here and there. So I think there's always like the record industry is so weird. There's always like, you know, I'll let you do this. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of thing. So, but yeah, I mean, the whole vinyl world back then was always big and prominent and you know people bought cds but vinyl was still king and then the mp3 came out and napster and all that and it kind of crushed how people buy records so there was like this vinyl revival which is kind of like weird but it it kind of re it, it helped you know the record industry kind of like have like this revival or renaissance with an old quote unquote old format, you know, cause they were offering digital downloads with, if you buy like the vinyl. So a lot of younger people were discovering like, Hey, vinyl's cool, you know, but vinyl's always been part of the, you know, the backbone of like hardcore and punk and, you know, CDs came out and, but people were still buying vinyl. We still had uh, vinyl on tour and we would sell out of that really fast. Like whenever we had records, you know, people would snatch those up quick. And they still do, I guess. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, just, wanna... I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to take you to those final shows because I'm, I'm, I'm curious, how did you feel? when when you first heard that it was going to come to an end and then when you got on that stage again how did it feel did it come naturally what was it a tough performance how how was the emotion around that entire thing um uh i was surprised it came to an end because they've just been plugging along for 20 years or so but also um, i wasn't in the band so maybe it wasn't surprising because it must get so tired. I mean, when I was in the band, it, it's draining to, to tour and to, to be on like top of like, you know, your, your musical game. But so I was surprised that they were like wrapping it up and I was, you know, surprised that they were, they wanted me to do something as I, I was really thankful for that and prepping for that. It was easy to play because it's like, Performing it, if you're in shape, is like pretty much riding a bicycle, like you know how to do it. And the, I just, I had to prep for it because I was out of vocal shape. So it, like, if if you're not, you know, flexing your vocal cords, you got to kind of build them back up and you get, you know, the breathing stamina and all that. So that was fun kind of just prepping for, you know. And it was really like satisfying and, you know, humbling and all that, all that good stuff, like doing it again, you know, like I got to do it. Got, it was good for closure too. Like I was, it was nice to be part of like the whole wrapping up the band process. Like I'm, I'm very thankful I was a part of that process. Like it was, it made me feel like I was still a member how often do you really, I guess, test out your vo your vocal abilities throughout the years? Are you are are you singing at home? Are you singing in the shower still? 
are you recording no. stuff? Are you still writing stuff? Or are you kind of just dropped it unless somebody like asked you for a guest <laughs> spot? Uh, ex- everything you just said. Um, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't. I don't practice like I only do it as if I if like um, I'm gonna sing something or like. So I've been very dormant for a long time. So. You know, <clears throat> when Dylan Dillinger wanted me to do that about four years ago, I, I prepped for that. I get asked to do guest appearance on records and I, I decline it because I'm out of shape and I'm like, nah, you know, it's okay. You know, I just also don't want to spread myself too thin. And, um, but lately I have been getting back in vocal shape because I've got a, you know, I've got some things cooking. Um, I'm not sure when this is, this interview is going to be, when you're going to debut this interview, but, you know, I got some, I got some things coming out, like, pretty soon, like, there's one thing that's being released in May. Um, I can definitely hold this if if, if you want to break something. (laughs) 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 I, I don't want, I can't. I can't break it because then it's just going to like some people will be like super bummed on me if I break it. But like um, I could tell you off when we're not talking about it. I could tell you what it is. Sure. But I have, <laughs> there's, some, there, there's something coming out in May. And then um, another thing I'm going to work on and I'm in the, in the process is that I can mention is there's this uh, Greek band called the Phosphorus and they're like this like spacey you know doomy kind of like slow sludgy band and i think me saying that description is unfair to them like they're a really great band but it's like a like i'm greek i'm a greek american so like this guy thanos and no association with the marvel character um (laughs) (laughs) he like reached out to me he's like hey do you want to do a song on our on our album like a guest spot and I said sure so I'm I'm within like getting my voice back into shape like that's another thing I'm going to be that's going to be coming out at some point so I have to record for that and so it'll be fun you know like you know like they're like a Greek band so you know in the Greek community it's like hey you're Greek hey like you're my you're my buddy so I'm really excited to do that for like more than one reason <clears throat> like they're a great band like they don't have too much exposure so it'd be fun to just do that and you know make new friends and all that stuff and uh yeah like there's a couple other things i have cooking so that does that, that haven't really materialized yet so long long-winded answer to your original question yes when i have to get my voice back into shape i do and it's not like it's my voice and it's like pretty much my stamina too. Like uh it takes a lot out of you to to do vocals. So I've been I've been getting back into vocal shape for sure. And it's been fun, you know, like uh, I can't complain. It's 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 like an old hat thing kinda. Well, I'm curious about like your original influences growing up because you come from Jersey, but now you've spent uh-huh. a little bit of time in Seattle. 
do you think, I guess, your approach to music, your approach to vocals, your approach approach to art in general, because you're a visual artist, you, you do, you do all the visual kind of stuff at work. So do you think that would have changed if maybe you grew up on the West coast and I guess at work when you're doing your visual stuff now, do you find that you're, I guess, overcompensating for the stuff that you didn't have as a kid growing up? Hmm. No, I don't think I feel, I don't feel like I overcompensate for things I did in life. Um, it's you're a creature of your environment. And I don't know, I guess West Coast kids, when you talk to them, how they grew up, is it's pretty similar on like, uh, like you're exposed to the same format. It's like, you know, growing up you like there's there's you know the media you see like like whatever what if you're playing sports or if you're listening to music or what kind of shows you're watching like like you grew up similar but your environments are different so um i don't know like i guess especially when it comes to music and visual like i grew up like in the shadow of New York city. So there's a lot of art that you can be exposed to like from New York. Um, uh, it's a metropolitan area. So I probably saw more than a kid from, you know, Missouri would, would see like growing up in the eighties and the nineties. So I was fortunate of my environment I grew up in and musically like, like what I, how I saw music was probably different. How like, you know, a kid in California would see music, you know, it's like West coast bands and all that. But like New Jersey had this like breeding ground of this, like really like, like it was a, like a lot of aggression there, a lot of suburban angst. Um, you know, you go, you get to go into New York, you know, take the train in New York, see like a bunch of like, hardcore punk shows so like that exposure was different so like that you know led to you know your your stepping stones and your growth and like what you enjoyed in music and what you like wanted to perform so yeah i would say your environment is definitely massive i mean today it's different because a kid in San Francisco can upload his, uh, his riffs and his like, you know, his music from his bedroom and like a kid in, you know, Prague, Czech Republic, you know, like, uh, is that Prague, Czech Republic? I don't know. My, my geography is weird. Right, let's pick a kid in Brussels, Belgium, you know, like he could see that instantly, you know, like, like in, back in the day like the world was way bit like it's way bigger and it was harder to discover things so i i'm very curious to see like how kids how they're influenced like with such accessibility to things versus like uh you know like smaller technology people from the past like their exposures weren't as like 
easily accessible. So it's, it's cool. You know, it's, it's evolution, you know, it's evolution in art, music, like technology. And, you know, I like what I like basically what was around for my environment, you know, whether it was strangers performing things or friends introducing me to, to things I never heard. How much do you I keep up on? No, please. The, 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 the point of my show. The, I was like, wow, I talk a lot. The only reason is just because like, I, I'm not visually seeing you. So I don't know. I I'm just trying to gauge uh, it, but uh, please, uh, please ramble. That's the point of this. It's unfiltered. It's okay. raw. That's the point of this podcast. But okay. how much are you keeping up with like the new artists? And like, how much are your children introducing you to new stuff as well? Like oh, from music man. to movies to yeah. just the world. Yeah. Um, my kids teach me like certain slang. Like I like a few years ago, I didn't know what the term "yeet" was. Y e e t. You know, like my younger daughter is like, "I'm gonna eat this," and I'm like, "What is that?" And she's like, "It means to throw it." I was like, "Oh." I was like, wow, like, am I old? <laughs> but they, they haven't really introduced me. Like, they play a lot of, like, like, like iPad games and shit like that. My 14-year-old, I don't know what kind of music she's into because she's, like, super secretive. But <laughs> my younger one, she really likes a lot of electronic music. She likes a lot of, like, Japanese pop and Korean pop music which is like wild because i let her use my spotify account and so i could see what she's listening to and it's pretty funny like she fucks up my algorithm on that <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah it's like it's like it, we're in the future now like we're talking about algorithms and music but yeah i see what she's listening to and i'm like it's pretty wild but i'm also trying to like like kind of like not I definitely don't like tell my kids what to listen to or like, you should like that. This, if they like something, they like it. So, and I'm not going to I'll introduce them to stuff. And if they don't like it, I'm not going to push it. So there's things like my, both my kids like, and you know, they, they're their own person. Like my older daughters, she's a really like really talented, like a uh, visual artist. And my younger one, she, she's good at, visual arts but she's like she has a knack for music and like the way she absorbs it it's like really like to me impressive so like she has more of a knack, a knack for like the audio side of of art and um so it's 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 pretty wild that they're like you know they're they're siblings but then they have completely different uh tastes and 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 talents so um but i don't really like i i hear about new music probably from friends and um yeah my friend uh my friend dave uh he used to sing in the bambach his wife like mentioned uh like uh liking turnstile and it's just like she kind of referenced that uh that Steve Buscemi meme, like, hey, you know, hello, fellow teenagers. Like, cause like Turnstile's like the like latest hot band. And um, they're like newer. So a lot like people were like commenting, they're like, I've never heard of Turnstile. 
like and she was like oh and i'm like they were like hot and it was similar to like when when that band um power trip just exploded onto the scene it's like whoa like who's this band they're pretty rad so like i'll hear about stuff like in that capacity too through friends and kind of word of mouth not that i go like go reach for the most popular thing but that's how I really discover music or, or if like my, one of my friend's bands are touring with another band. Like I discovered that band Brutus cause they would play with like a lot of like my friend's bands. So like you would see them on the bill and I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I would look it up and I'm like, this band rips, you know? So that's how I discovered new music. How often are you Instead at a live what, show? Are, are, are you like hitting up the crocodile or Numos ever or anything like that? Uh, I don't go to live. I don't go to live shows a lot. I'm kind of uh, a hermit like that. Although I did go see Helms Ali uh, a few weeks ago. They played at the Sunset Tavern in in uh, Seattle, and I think they played a string of, uh, I think, uh, Northeast shows. So they think they played in Seattle. They played Tacoma, and then they played in. Uh, Bellingham, which is like way north uh, Washington. So like right towards the border of Canada. So I think they played like warm-up shows because they're in Europe right now with Russian circles. So I went to that show and it was awesome. So I don't go to many shows though. I should. I know Amorphous is playing in Seattle in about two weeks. So I'm going to go to that one. They're playing at El Corazon. But yeah. I should go to more shows, yeah, but I'm not going to blame COVID for that because I didn't go to a lot of shows pre-COVID, but I should, yeah. You have such a great city. It's, kind of... it, it, it's my favorite city in the world. There's so many great venues oh, there. Really? Oh, I'm, I'm, I spend as much time in Seattle as I possibly can, so I, oh, wow. I fucking love it there. Yeah, a lot of venues closed down here, a lot, um, COVID, around the COVID time. Like the crocodile, the sunset still exists. Um, the showbox, the original showbox, um, uh, the one in downtown, I think they wanted to close down. So there's now a showbox in, it's called Soto, you know, the Soto area. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a showbox there, but that's not the original showbox. So, and even like there used to be venues here like that closed down like uh the velvet elvis and rock candy so it happens every, in every city like new york city had the same thing we had coney island high um cbgbs which is famous for but yeah cbgbs and cbgbs but <laughs> you know <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's it, for the historic purposes cbgbs is phenomenal but like to play at it, it was it's like a, a stage that's kind of on an angle. Like it, it was tough to play. It also and just like sounded it. like shit. Let's be fucking real. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's fine. It's fine. It did unless you were close up because if you were in the back, like the sound got absorbed. Like because it was so narrow and long that club. But it was a pain to get your equipment in and out. I'll say that. But, there um, well, well and i i lived in toronto for a long time i i taught film there i went i went to film school and everything there but 
there there's this little place called the Horseshoe Tavern and some uh-huh. really legendary punk performances happened where the cops raided the entire thing and like it it has such history behind it like CBGB's does but if you actually go watch a show at the Horseshoe Tavern it's fucking awful like it just sounds yeah disgusting yeah. in there it's just sludgy yeah. as shit the, the really the only good thing to do in there is seeing the kids in the hall used to also play in there. So seeing comedy okay. in there is a little bit better, but yeah, seeing yeah, music in there, it yeah. just, it gets muddy and all yeah. fucked up. Yeah. I think it's safe to say like, you know, like the sound quality sucks, it, you know, but like for what CBGBs is like, if someone's really butthurt at this conversation right now, I apologize. <laughs> But like I, I am not taking away the historic, like significance of CBGBs of what, you know, who came through that place, like the wave of New York hardcore bands that played there. It was the place you would go like matinees there. I used to go there as a teenager. It's great. Like I used to love going to shows there. But I'm just saying, as a musician playing there, it's tough. It's it was like the stage was like like a triangle. You know, it was hard. But it was also fucking awesome to play that. Like, like don't get me wrong. Like, when CBs was packed, you, like, playing there, it's, like, I love playing, like, somewhere, like, there versus, like, if you went to the Trocadero in Philadelphia, which I don't think exists anymore. Trocadero was awesome, but it was, it was hard because the stage was so high, and then there was, like, a barrier with a big gap, so you felt so disconnected from the crowd. But a place like CBGB's, you're right there. And it's like that intimacy was awesome. But, you know, like sound quality wise, not the best. But, did it, um, Well, now I'm curious. Did it always feel like a weight off your shoulders when you walked into a new venue and the stage wasn't high then? Yeah, I hate high stages. And I see like bands like play those like big European festivals. And you're like, fuck it. You just like a giant stage. And you're just so like, there's a moat between you and the crowd. It's, it's tough. Like it's a, 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 like a, like a band that like wants to be like energized. It's hard to get that connection with the crowd. And I would, that's what I always felt like when I love playing shows is like, you love playing and you're playing a show. Like, you want to have a connection with the crowd, whether it's positive or negative, like you want to have that connection and you feel so disconnected when you're, when you're high up on a stage and, you know, you just feel like you're like a bird in a cage, you know, like it's, it's weird, but you, you play and you do it, you know, it's fine, but it's a different vibe when you're my favorite venue to play in New York was always Coney Island high. Cause it was like, uh, a modest sized club. The stage was like waist high and there was no barrier. And it was just a great venue to play. It'd get hot as fuck in there. But, but those were the best shows. Like ones where you can like lean on people like that are actually like right in front. So, but that, that was one of the good things about CBs. But yeah, it sucks that like when you go to cities, like, you find out all their clubs are, have closed down and all that stuff. So, it, it, you know, it's real estate. People, people sell buildings and then 
other people or they the rent gets too high and then some they put like a crossfit gym mm-hmm. in place of where you, there used to be killer shows i i so, will say as long as the paramount never goes away in seattle it'll still be my favorite yeah. city that is that yeah. is a venue of venues right there for me yeah i, I don't think the paramount will go out i, I hope not well but. no it there was right at the beginning of covid there was a gofundme it was it was seeming like they might honestly yeah, shut that place sucks. down. So I'm I really hope that they keep it alive. Yeah, Seattle Seattle's totally changing. It's becoming the mini San Francisco where it's the whole Amazon, Google, like the all these tech companies that are getting tax breaks and just destroying like the real estate market and it's not just for residential real estate it's like what we're talking about it's like commercial real estate too where like venues that have like performing like arts they might shut down because it's not paying so then it'll become some shitty like condo building or something you know like it sucks it's it's the same up here, so I, I completely get it. It's 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 oh, where sad. Are you? are you in Vancouver? No, I'm in Calgary. Oh, Calgary. Okay, so you're like northeast of me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, kind of right. Yeah, I haven't been to Calgary. I'm like, we usually drive down. It's like a 13 hour, 14 hour drive. Okay, but wow, yeah, we, that's, a, that's a hike. Oh man, I I'm coming to uh, Seattle constantly for shows. Yeah. I I don't even care. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm I'm yet to be in Western Canada. Like I have tons of family in Ontario, and um, on the east side uh, of Canada, but I haven't been up to Western Canada yet. I haven't been to Vancouver. I know Calgary. I know they have the Flames and they have the the Hart family. Is that's what I know about Calgary. Well, now like I had to ask. Well, now <laughs> I had to ask, though. Are, uh, are, are you a hockey fan that, that you know the Flames? Um, I know the Flames. I'm a Devils fan. I grew up in New Jersey. Like, usually people like like the – if you grew up in New Jersey, you're a Rangers fan. Um, See, I have – I, like, I, I feel like I don't have respect for you if you grew up in Jersey and you're a Rangers fan. Like, if you're an Islanders fan, I guess, yeah. fine. But you better be a Devils fan. Yeah, I'm a Devils fan. Like – it's weird. Like it, it, when you're in New Jersey, here's the, here, there's like a formula with sports. Like if you grew up in Long Island, you're normally an Islanders Mets fan. And, uh, uh, like you like the Knicks. Like if you grew up in New Jersey, the popular teams are people are Rangers fans. Um, they like the Knicks, not a lot of Nets fans in New Jersey. But there are, but like me growing up, I, I was a Knicks fan, but then I liked the Devils too. And, um, uh, sometimes I like the little engine that could kind of band or, uh, uh, sports team. Like I was a Yankee fan growing up in the eighties and the Yankees sucked when I was a kid. And people don't know that because they always see like the Yankees from the nineties and on, like they just do all this buying shit. But, uh, like they're like, Oh, you're a Yankee fan. I'm like, dude, when I grew up, they sucked. Like the Mets were the number one team in the, in the, in the eighties. So I always like the, 
the underdog teams. See, the, the, that was like me growing up at the Seahawks. I used to get shit on constantly. They're like, what do you mean you're a fucking Seahawks fan? Now everybody's a bandwagon yeah. jumper. I'm like, yeah, totally. Yeah. The don't even, 12 bullshit. Yeah. don't even yeah, start with me, even... motherfuckers. I was there when yeah. this team sucked. Yeah. I put it this way. You know what you can, you can really fuck with someone's head. You're like, I was a Seahawks fan when they were in the AFC motherfucker. You know, like, <laughs> they're like, what? They're like, what? Like, like they don't even know, like the Seahawks were in the AFC. And another good one to get somebody, it's like name the Seahawks quarterback before Matt Hasselbeck. And people can't do that. People can't do that. <laughs> like, what? what? Oh, dude, I, I, I cannot stand front running fans. It's so bad. Well, and it's funny because I've like, I have waited my entire life for the Kraken to finally be a thing. I just mm-hmm. wanted hockey in Seattle. That's all I ever wanted my entire life. And so I used to cheer for the Canadians because okay. I, I, that's just what I did. So growing up, but my, my allegiance is Seattle sports, anything, my allegiance oh, wow. is Seattle. Cool. But yeah, when yeah, I finally I got have... the Kraken, God yeah. damn, am I happy to finally get that team. Have you, have you been to a game? I haven't, I haven't been down because it's COVID has just ruined everything yeah. this last year. Yeah, totally. I'm, just I'm so, waiting. Just so keep in touch with me because a friend of mine has season tickets like, um, and he shares tickets with somebody. Oh, so he hell got, yeah. He, he, so he got, I think he has two or three, but he told me like, he doesn't go to all the games. So like, you know, let me know ahead of time if you're coming down and I'll see if he has tickets and. I can see, like, if, you know, obviously, like, see if he's going to a game or not. I haven't been to a game yet, but um, I don't really like going to sports games. Like, I like basketball and hockey to watch the most and soccer. Um, Hockey games are great. Like, people are like, I don't understand this and that. I'm like, it's, if you go to a hockey game versus a football game, like, Football games are, are like so testosterone driven, and, and there's there's just way too many start stops. Hockey is just yeah, hockey. You're, you're going yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like and the the hockey players are cool, the fans are cool. Like it's just a great like vibe, and I find that with basketball too. Like I love basketball. Like like the Knicks are like one of my like favorite things in life. Like even when they suck, which has been for 20 plus years. So like basketball, I love, I just love the, like that pace and like that kind of like competition, like how like hockey, basketball and soccer, their, their, their game spaces are pretty much designed in the same format. You know, who, who are you cheering for soccer wise? Are you a Sounders fan? Cause you're out there or, or who are you cheering for? I cheer for the Red Bulls. Okay. Which the used to be, which used to be the Metro Stars, and uh, I'm a big Arsenal fan. Nice, or as they say, an Arsenal supporter. So, <laughs> like, so like I, I'm a big Arsenal guy. So, um, I'm dying to go over to England one day and go to a to go to a match. You know, it's I just love the dynamic of European. Uh, like the European football, how they have like their, their leagues, how you could just be fucking demoted if you don't make the cut. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love that format. 
It's cutthroat. It's where, fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's like you have to earn your your spot in the Premier League or or in, you know, Serie A or La Liga. Like you you're not just cuz you're in there. Like look at baseball. Like if you're the I'm going to pick on a bad team in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Which team do I pick? Like if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like <laughs> You know, you know, you're going to be in the Major League Baseball. Like, like if if the if Major League Baseball was formatted like, um, you know, like European football, like a team like the Pirates would be in a lower league. Like they would be demo, like they would be regulated. So it would also I make them fight harder. Like because then they're yeah, trying to get back into incentive. it, you're, and you're going to get better. You're going to get better athleticism out of them and you're just going to get better games then. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's the, it gives so much, it makes you better. The incentives there, there, they try and in, in, Amer- in American sports, they try and like, they try and tax teams with luxury taxes. So like if everyone gave, used to give George Steinbrenner shit, and he's just like, I spend money on my team. Like, I don't know what the big problem is. And he goes, I pay. His point was, and people don't understand it. George Steinerberg was like, I pay extra. I pay a luxury tax to other teams because my payroll's high. So I have to pay a luxury tax. It's not my fault that the money I give other teams, they pocket and they don't put back into their team. Like, and then, like, people don't see that. Like, a lot of owners in sports just pocket the money. They don't have that incentive to like, oh shit, I got to make my team better because I'm going to get regulated or whatever. So it's sports and business is wild like that. It's like you get, you, you give an owner shit for spending money, but then it's just like, well, what about your cheap ass owners pocketing it and just putting some crap like, or not investing in their team. I'm shaking my old, like, my 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 Yankee my Yankee fan fist. So many people are probably pissed at me right now. <laughs> a lot of Boston fans hate me, probably. Oh, the Boston fans hate everybody. It's fine. It's fine. But I, that's what I love about Boston is like that's their team, the the Sox. The thing about where I grew up, we had like two teams. We had the Mets and Yankees. So it's like we didn't have this unified area where like. Yes, we have a, our team. Like the, you know, there's cities like like Chicago has two teams and L.A., but it's cool when a city has one team and they're like, "Fuck the Sox," you know, like, like I, I I'm envious of that. Like it's cool, like you know, like if you're a baseball fan, you're a Sox fan. Like that's that's your team. Like you go to New Jersey or New York or Connecticut, it's split. It's like Yankees or Mets. And even if you go to Connecticut, it's like some people in Connecticut are Sox fans because you're like creeping up New- towards a uh, New England area. Well, how much did you enjoy growing up in that area? Because honestly, you, you you take a three hour drive and you can be anywhere and catch like a ton of different kinds of bands. Everybody was kind of playing that East Coast area. Did you get to a lot mm-hmm. of things growing up that like? Oh, totally. Looking yeah, back on it, you're like, holy shit, I can't believe I yeah. actually made it to that show. Yeah, like, I, I was fortunate to see, like, 
a lot of stuff and a variety too. Like it was way cool, you know, like you could drive from New Jersey, you could drive down to Philly and see shows. It's only like two hours and then you can go into New York. It's like half an hour, but then you could drive up to Boston, which is, you know, four or five hours. So it's like, everything was around you in the Northeast. Like there was so much and all the tours and stuff went around there. Like if you grew up in Seattle, like a lot of tours and stuff, they, they skipped the Pacific Northwest. Oh, I know like all about that. And they, and they, and they definitely yeah. skip fucking Canada. <laughs> yeah, totally. So like, you'll see tours like go up to San Francisco and then they, then they hit like Denver and Utah and I'm like, fuck, like when, when they release the tour schedule, I always see like if they, if Seattle or Portland, maybe they'll do Portland. Maybe. Yeah, but, maybe. But it's, it sucks. Cause a lot of like a lot, it's historically a lot of tours, they pass over certain areas. So I feel fortunate in the area I grew up, we never got passed over. And if we had like a big tour, they would play two shows like, uh, in New York or something, they would actually stay and like play two shows because like the demand was high. Was there a particular? So, yeah, I, do, I, I do feel fortunate. Was was there a particular show that you feel really changed you and just like changed the course of everything for you? Um. Hmm. changed me i mean i've had shows where i felt like the closest thing to having a religious experience like i don't think any shows changed me like it maybe like yeah but maybe it did change me now that i think about it because then it led me to certain other things like i saw like a lot of like like new york bands that i would never never seen in new jersey like a lot of like the New York hardcore bands, like you would see Agnostic Front or Madball and stuff like that. And it's like a different kind of vibe. We're like, whoa, like, cause there's New Jersey hardcore. But, you know, one show that I was like, I had a super like religious experience was, and I'm not religious. Um, I'm just using that as a term. But like when I saw, I saw Radiohead at Madison Square Garden. And uh, it was during the Kid A tour. So it was like so good. And we had uh, general admission tickets. So we were on the floor of Madison Square Garden. And it was like, seriously, it was like, they were like 20 feet from me. And it was like, we were that close. So it was like, and it was, they played awesome. And that was a good experience. And they sounded awesome. I was just like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I remember my one friend, Mike, was we were with, he was like, I feel like we just saw like the Beatles or something after like the show. <laughs> it was it was pretty good. Well, I assume growing up in a Greek household, your parents had on like a lot of huh. Greek music as well. So like Yeah, I wasn't exposed to much like I mean, my mom grew up in uh, America, like my mom's Greek. And um you know, she had like Elvis records when she was younger, but my dad's from Greece. So like, I didn't, I didn't really grow up in a musical household. Um, and even with sports, like my dad wasn't like, Hey, let's go throw the baseball around, you know, like, so 
you know, I had to discover things, me and my brother and my sister too. My sister was like, my sister's four years older than me. And she was like a goth kid. So like, that's how I learned about like, like new order and love and rockets and Depeche mode. My sister was like, my sister was like a pioneer for all that for me. Like I knew about Depeche mode at an early age and all those, you know, Peter Murphy, you know, all the, all those bands, you know, joy division, uh, new order. And my brother is three years older than me. So like the, the three of us, we had to discover things on our own you know, through friends and stuff. Cause my parents weren't like, Hey, this is Led Zeppelin, you know, like, like some, like, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm a jerk, but like, like kids that grew up in American households, like American families, like, like their dad would have seen like Led Zeppelin and shit like that in the seventies and stuff. Like my dad wasn't like that. Like, so like they had early exposure, like, you know, like my dad played, uh, you know, classic rock records when I was a kid and this and that, I'm like, not me. So we discovered stuff on our own, which was kind of cool. And I'm not like trying to brag about it, but it was, it was, it, I guess the environment I grew up in, like getting back to our like earlier conversations, like the area I grew up in helped me discover things. Oh, I, I, like I can, I completely see where you're, peers. well, I completely see where you're coming from though. Like my parents listened to just country music <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I had, two brothers one's 12 years older the other's 15 years older and oh yeah there you go so they were like way advanced with stuff oh hell yeah and and like my one brother got me into metal and then that's and then i started trying to find punk my own way and then i found hip-hop and jazz and i get it i get completely where you're coming from yeah like because my brother's three years older than me and his best friend in our neighborhood had a brother that was five years older than, or four years older than them. So they, there's this dude, uh, his Eric was the oldest guy. So like when I was in the fifth grade, I learned what who Rush was through him because it was like a trickle down. So this guy, Eric played Rush and then my brother and his friend, John liked Rush and then my brother would bring Rush home. And then I'd be like, wow, this is awesome. So it's like, I was kind of like, it was like a, like a, a pyramid, <laughs> you know, like Eric was at the top with Rush and then he like trickled it down to everybody else. What, so what, that's, yeah, it's some, it's similar to like what you said, you, your brothers are 12 years and 15 years older than you. Like they have like that exposure that they could yeah. trickle down. What kinds of music do you feel like you're always going back to? Are you going back to like the eighties kind of goth, like dark wave kind of stuff? Is, is that Um, usually what you're going back to or? Uh, it depends on my mood. Uh, I like my fallbacks. What what do I listen to a lot? Just cause I don't want to ask you like top five bands because I can ask you right now and ask you 10 minutes from now and it's probably going to change. Yeah. It'll be different. It's it's going to, it's going to change. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what my fallbacks on are like, I, I, I'm, it's like, it's like the classic case. It's like, Hey, let's go record shopping. And you're like, what do I go look for first? Like, you're like, you don't know what to do. Like, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know my fallbacks. Oh, see, I always start in a section that I don't like. And then I see uh, if I like any good. of like the album covers 
and then it inspires me and then I'm like shit that looks like this and then I walk over to it like probably the metal section and then that influences uh-huh. me to go into the punk section and then maybe I'll find some like hip hop influence in that and I, I you start off in a section that you don't like and find an album cover yeah. and get inspiration That's that a way good move. yeah I like that huh Look at you, in, in, innovating vinyl shopping. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You should like get a YouTube channel and do that and just like, because there's a fucking thing for everything. Let me teach you how to do this. People just <laughs> need to go to YouTube just to like put their shoes on. But yeah, like that's actually really, that's really, yeah, like kind of like put, it's almost similar to like putting yourself out of your own comfort zone. Like, go to somewhere where you don't like it, and then maybe you will. See, I used to do that with bands all the time, too. If I knew that I didn't like something, I would go because I wanted to hear the opener. So if I if I hated that headlining band, I would still go to that show if I was free and it was like a cheap show just because I wanted... What if I'm missing an amazing opening band? I I have felt that way my entire life. You know, and you're absolutely right because everyone's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to go watch the opener. I'm like, dude, every band at one point was the opener. Exactly. Like I, we played, we played in Houston, Texas with Mr. Bungle at this club called Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald's. And this, this older lady was like the club, like she ran the club and she was like, and I'm saying older cause like I was in my early twenties. This lady was probably like in her late 50s early 60s and she didn't seem like a club owner she just seemed like a business lady and i remember after the show i went to go get our our buyout because you know the opening band gets like 10 bucks each for food Mm -hmm. so and then i was like hi i'm dimitri i was in the opening band and she goes oh and then she was like really kind of shitty to me and she and then she handed me like whatever the 60 bucks and she was like, kind of like, she said something really, this was over 20 years ago. So she said something really shitty to me, like basically paraphrasing, like, uh, yeah, now I'm $60 in the hole because of you guys. <laughs> like basically like, like I was like, wait, what? And she goes, yeah. She was like opening bands. I lose money. And I'm and then she kind of like, we kind of started talking and I was like, are you serious? And she goes, nobody came here to see you guys. And like, she was like a complete asshole about it. And I was standing there talking to her for like 20, 25 minutes. And Ben was like, come on, let's go, let's go. I'm like, no, like, this is bullshit. And I told the lady, I'm like, how do you know one day we're going to come back and headline this club? You know, it's like, you know, like you can't treat opening bands like that. And she just was, would not budge. She was like, it, it was it was so bad. Like I just wanted to like just take my pants down and shit in her office. Like she was such an asshole. Well, okay. And how, then, like, how much of that so shit then, did you have yeah. to deal with then back then? Because like, fuck, man, you'd not, not run off lot. the stage and you just fucking go sell merch. So yeah, but a lot of club owners were really cool. But like, it was it was a small percentage that the ones like this lady were like, and. She was, and she probably is still a miserable human being. And basically, like, my point to her is, like, you can't treat, and th- and this, my point of bringing the stories up is what you're saying. is like, you can't treat an opening band like they're the opening band. Like, you can't. Like, 
because like you got to start somewhere or you got to play somewhere and just because you're an opener doesn't mean you're a bad band like give uh, give the opening band go watch them you know like you might really fucking love them Mm -hmm. and so like so as a fan or like as a club owner like you can't look at it that way like they may not be your cup of tea but like they could end up being a big band that'll come back and like headline your club or they might be a band that you're the they're, they're gonna, their next record you're going to love well and, that, and that's so people the, have this, that's the other thing with openers, openers too too much yeah well, exactly well, it, well the like, other well, the other thing with openers it's like you're working out your kinks as well so yeah that next mm-hmm. album it might fucking blow you away because they're working mm-hmm. on it on stage as well exactly or you might really like their fucking record that's out right now. Like, just give them a listen. You know, like, I, 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 I don't get that. Like, that's what I hate about that big world, like the big stage world, is people, like, don't give openers the love. But if you go to, like, a hardcore show or a punk show, you know who's playing. So it doesn't matter who's playing fourth or last. It's all, like, they're all the same level, mm-hmm. pretty much. But then when you go to, like, a big ticket place where it's, like, you know, so-and-so is opening. It's like, oh, the opener The opener goes on at 9, so, like, we don't have to be there till 10. It's like, come on, man. Like, maybe go watch the opener. Well, and it's you funny know, because, so. like, a lot of people do not have that mentality when it comes to a festival. You'll have a lot of people get there right at gates open and just watch shit that they've never seen right off the yeah. bat at, at, like, the beginning of the day at noon. I don't understand yeah. why and you don't do that for a regular show. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, it makes no sense, but it's like, I remember this is, I've said this story too, and it, and it fucking blows people's minds. I remember, um, in New Jersey, like we used to have this, uh, there still is this radio station at scene hall. It's pirate radio, 89.5 WSOU. And they play, always played like heavy stuff. And they used to play tool a lot. And, um, I remember Lollapalooza came around. It was the Lollapalooza with Eddie Vedder or not Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam played, Soundgarden played that, Ministry. It was like a big Lollapalooza. It was when Lollapalooza was huge. And I remember I went to go use the porta potties and there was like a really, really small side stage. And then there was a guy, I was going towards the porta potty and this guy was like, Hey everyone, you know, in, in five minutes, tool is playing. Come check out this up and coming band tool tool. And he kept saying tool. So I was like, oh, okay. I was like, that's the band from WSOU. So I went to the porta potty and then I came back and I was watching tool play. There was like seriously like 30 or 40 people watching the side stage tool playing. And it was like, nobody, nobody fucking cared. And I was like, Oh, I heard these guys on WSOU. And it's just like, you tell that story and like people are like, you saw Tool like that. I'm like, it's like, dude, everyone at a certain point doesn't know who the fuck you are. And it was funny because like, you look at Tool now, their tickets are like 150 bucks. It's it's stupid. I, but, I, yeah. I, I love that you said that story because the exact same thing happened to me. <clears throat> With Tool? Yep. We were at the Lollapalooza, whatever it was, and everybody. It was just like it was like nineteen ninety two, nineteen ninety three. It was it was ninety. It was ninety three. I'm pretty sure. And, and Sonic Youth was on yep. the stage, 
And I remember a guy running over there and he's like, everybody needs to fucking come over to this side stage. And I've to this day never seen this. Everybody left fucking Sonic Youth, the biggest band at the time, and walked over to fucking Tool on the side yeah. stage. Yeah. It yeah. was it was fucking they, insane. Yeah, that's when like the sober was their hit single. Like yeah. that's like the so sober level tool. And like they used to play their video on Headbangers Ball. But it was like it was like it was cool watching them. Like I watched them and I was like, oh like this is rad, but wow, we're showing our age right now. So you're you're about we're about the same age. Yeah. Right? <laughs> how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? <laughs> I was born. Uh, I was born in seventy seven. I hate saying how old I am. I'll put it like this: I I was taken there on. I was I was six. So you were six when you saw Tool first. I was six when I saw Tool for the first time. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I, I was fifteen. <laughs> it's. Well, Dude, that's so cool. Like, that's like uh, my my uh, old guitar player and buddy Benoit, Brian Benoit. Yeah. He was six. He was five or six when his parents took him to see Kiss. Oh, fuck. So that was like his. <laughs> see, well, like, I, the, the funny thing about Tool is it's been my favorite band ever since that moment. Because that's like back when Maynard didn't even have a fucking backbone and he was just all over the stage and fucking like the bends. Yeah, like. When he would just he bend the, himself in half, had, it was fucked. Yeah, and he had like this, like, sh- like the sides and back of his head were shaved bald, and he had this long hair that he had pulled back. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was like Tool before they became like super trippy, man. You know what I mean? Like, like Tool has a third eye, bro. Like it was like before that kind of Tool. Yeah, fuck yeah, I see. Like, the, yeah. the, the only shows that I wish I would have got to see Tool at, other than that, would have been the Scientology shows in L.A. Because uh-huh. those had to have been something else. I remember one time in, like, this was, like, in the late 90s, uh, we played Pittsburgh. And uh, some kid came up to me, and he was like, you guys are awesome. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, thanks. He was like, you kind of remind me of, like, Maynard from Tool. And I was like, that was like like the one of the biggest compliments I've ever had. I'm like, I don't sound like him, but I was like, if I remind you of him, thanks. You know, <laughs> like, cool, man. Like, I wasn't even. I, like, I don't try and be anybody, but that was cool. Like a compliment like that, where I was like, you know, someone you admire, and then someone else sees like something like you're doing, like you're putting your stuff into. It's like that was like one of the biggest compliments I had, and um. Another compliment I love is like Buzz from the Melvins came up and introduced himself to me because we played with the Melvins and Mr. Bungle. And he was like, you guys were awesome. I was like, thanks. Like, whoa. And I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, this is like a guy that this guy complimented me. And they're like, Kurt Cobain used to like idolize Buzz from the Melvins. Like he wanted Nirvana to be so much like the Melvins. He idolized him so much. So this motherfucker is saying like he liked my band. I was like, I was like, wait, this isn't real right now. So it's cool when like your contemporaries or your the bands you look up to like they like you. You're like, wow, like thanks. Buzz cool. is fucking amazing. He was one of my very first interviews back in the day. He's a cool dude. Oh, he's yeah. so he's so fucking great. But I wrote to him. I think it was grade four, and I was writing. Really? So I started a school newspaper in grade three. So by grade four, 
I was doing interviews with bands and I would make it seem like I was like a legitimate journalist and I'd write to them. And I remember Buzz was like, fuck yeah. And we did this like whole back and forth writing interview kind of thing. Awesome. One of the most genuine guys I've ever met. I've interviewed yeah. him many times in the past. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that yeah. Like, like he he's a fucking icon. Like he uh-huh. he helped to he, shape the way that we all listen to music today. Yeah. And he's just such a genuine guy. Yeah, that's what you just said. He's an icon, but he doesn't act like one. He's not like, ah, like if you told him that, he'd be like, I'm not an icon. Like he just does what he does. And that's, I think the draw of like, like musicians like that and artists like that, where like, they're not smelling their own farts. And it's like, they, they're not believing their own hype that people give them. Like, they're just like humble. and Oh yeah. You know, like it, it's way cool. And, it makes sense that he would do that. Like as you, as a young guy, young kid writing to them, like, I think that would, that's way cooler than an adult. Like that has a publication where like a kid is just doing it. Like, I'm fuck it. I'm going to write this guy. And if he writes me back, whatever, like, that's like, if oh. a kid ever wrote me, I'd be like, yo dude, I'd be like his buddy right away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I used to do that it, shit all the time. To- and and it's like yeah, it's like, really how I found like a lot of the shit that I watch and listen to, just like how bands became my favorite bands, movies became my favorite movies. It's because I was acting as press, and there and then as soon as I got there, they're like, "Oh fuck, you're like ten. What the yeah. fuck?" <laughs> it's like you're, you're the fucking uh, Cameron Crow kind of, <laughs> uh, of, of of the the punk rock world. <laughs> like what is that like uh, the almost famous yeah <laughs> that's so good and uh, you know i find if you act as if act as if you belong that there's nothing wrong with it you if you i belong here this is what i'm doing like you stretch your own capabilities as far as you could and you're like i'm i belong here and then i think that's respectable and when people see that you're like whoa this kid's doing it like mad respect you know like you do people do belong there even if you don't have credential like fuck it like i'm gonna try well that's a thing cool man (laughs) like i i would never have got a radio job when i got a radio job back in the day if i hadn't have put myself out there then i wouldn't have got the film jobs that i got if i didn't put myself out like the, the first feature film i made I made when I was eight and I was just calling in favors from guys that like I knew in the industry and stuff because I started acting when I was three. It's just, (laughs) if, if I hadn't, if I hadn't (laughs) have just bullshitted my way through it, I would never have got anywhere. So you just, you just got to do it. It's yeah. It's the, the seizing the moment thing where people bands would ask me like, how do you like, how do you like get to a level where you're at? And I'm like, first of all, you don't try and get to it. You just play, you just put yourself out there, you know, like don't, don't stop. That's what I always tell people. Like who cares what people think and don't stop what you're doing. Because in retrospect, it like looking back at it now, if you would have tried harder to, to do certain elements at certain times, there's no way in hell it would have worked out. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. 
yeah like i think once you try too hard like you know like you kind of lose like who you are like and what you're about like because if you're trying too hard you're you're not being yourself you know you just got to be confident with your own like abilities with who you are and then just don't don't deviate from that and don't get discouraged like in a band sense, like if you're playing shows and there's only five people there, like, and you're upset, like, why are you playing then? Like, you know, like, don't, don't let that discourage you. Well, it's like, it's like the old saying, it doesn't matter if there's one person in the audience or a hundred thousand, you should fucking totally. play to the hundred thousand yeah. crowd. It doesn't and, matter. And, and yeah. And yeah, it's, and people get discouraged about that. Cause they're like, Oh, there wasn't a lot of people there. It's like, well, is that why you're playing then? Like, like just do your thing and if you're if you're doing it doing it doing it like it'll catch on like people will like you because they see like people like things that are genuine people like things that are just you know real and that's the most real you could be is if you're just yourself and doing what you do because you don't want to like when the, the second you do things for other people it's like you're you're compromising yourself and I feel like that, that bites a lot of people. It bites them in the ass. Like one time uh, I did a t-shirt design years ago, like 20 years ago for this one smaller band. And they were like, we kind of wanted a shirt to look like, like a Jake Bannon design and this and that. And then I replied back to him. I'm like, well, maybe you should go get Jake Bannon to do it. You know, like I was like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not insulted, but you know, I'm, I'm myself, I'm me. And if that's, if you want a certain look, why don't you go to that certain, you know, like, or why don't you try and do something that doesn't look like Jake Bannon stuff, you know, like try something different. Well, yeah. Like, they, they, oh. they, <laughs> that would literally be going to like Jesse Draxler and being like, I want this to look like a Bannon artwork. Like, well, then why are you going to that particular person then? Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, if, yeah, if you want a certain look, go to the certain artist or why don't you come up with the, if you don't, it, instead of coming up with a certain look, why don't you come up with something that, you know, you might not have thought of, mm -hmm. you know, like a new look, you know, like something different, something that's not like this, like, out there already so that can that that conversation can spiral into so many different subtopics you know well i'm and, I, i'm glad that you did mention it because i did want to end this off talking about your graphic design and and being an artist that way so uh -huh. and and really what you're doing now how easy I, how effortless do you feel like it is now because you're like 30 years doing this? Does it seem easier uh -huh. now? Does it seem harder now? Do you feel like technology is giving you the tools that, that you really wanted and, and hoped for back in the early days of starting this and, and just um, yeah, how, how lot, are you enjoying there's a, it? There's a, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it to it like pretty much. Like I do a lot of production art for print companies and stuff. Um, I'll do my own stuff on the side. I don't really uh, push myself hard for to, to go out and get work. Um, uh, I, I do it for just the enjoyment of doing it. Like, 
even on the production art side of it, I like being part of a process. Like I've worked with in the past, like Brian Montori. Um, he's like, like a high school friend. Like we didn't go to the same high school, but we, we met each other when we were all in high school. And uh, like he did, uh, he did a lot of art for uh, Dillinger and I've worked with him where he did the art and I did the layout and we, we like, we put it together. So like, you know, I, I took his art and I, you know, did, like laid it out and designed and whatever. So like, even if I'm not like the, the catalyst of like, or the, the art comes from me, I like, I like being part of a process and like having all that and technology has gotten way better with like, you know, Dropbox and storage and, you know, certain there's, there's all like new like filters and plugins for like different like techniques and effects. And so it's, it, technology grows and it, it becomes not easier, but it just, it, it gives you new like outlets and new avenues to, to do stuff. And, you know, graphic design is, it's, it's not an industry where it's like fine arts where you have your own identity. Like you can have your own identity as a graphic artist, but graphic art and for me, graphic arts and graphic design, it's, it's a lot pulled from your inspiration comes from, it's like a, it's like, um, you, you, you pull inspiration from other forms of art. And you're, you're, when you're a graphic artist, you, you're, you're working for a client as if you're a fine artist, you're, you're, that's yourself, you know, you don't have anybody that's like asking you to make changes. Like, can you make the logo bigger kind of stuff? So I, 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 I like graphic arts for that sense because I like working with people. I like producing things and I don't have an ego. So if somebody doesn't like something, I, I'll, I'll adjust, but if something doesn't work, I'll say, Hey, that won't work because of this. But, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's a great industry. I just, you know, for print design only, that's what I do. I don't do any web stuff or, you know, digital, but it's, it, it's, it, I like it. It's, you know, it's given me an, a career post post music. So like, I, I can't really complain too much. Well, Dimitri, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It means well, the world to me and I, I, I well, really do appreciate it. Well, thank Robert. Thank you. I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk. Um, it's been this, this conversation has been a long time coming and I, I am glad I made a new friend in you. Of course. And, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, gl I'm glad I can come to Seattle and, and, and come yeah, hang yeah, out with you sometime. Yeah. You, ha you have my number. You can hit me up. Uh, when I finally venture into Canada, Western Canada, I'll hit you up. I'm like, I'm going to be up there. So it's Please. been a while. Like I've, I've been in Seattle about eight, nine years now, and I'm still yet to go up, uh, over the border, but I want to. So you know, we'll make it happen. I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to do this and I'm glad, you know, to, to meet you and, you know, talk about total bullshit and it's fun.
I, I had fun, man. Thanks. I, I hope you did have some fun. So thank you. Totally, totally, totally. M- much appreciated. Thank you for listening. That was Dimitri Minikakis. You already know what I'm going to tell you. Go fucking listen to some absolutely killer calculating infinity from the Dillinger escape plan. Make sure you keep an eye out for all of these guest spots that uh, are coming up here. Just always keep Dimitri in your mind. The man is an amazing vocalist, a hell of a great guy. I hope you enjoyed that interview. This concludes our broadcast day.